Step into Mind Matters, where we reveal the high-stakes world of CEOs, from their first-day jitters to game-changing strategies, and equip you with invaluable insights and practical advice essential for your personal growth and leadership journey. And now, Mind Matters. Welcome, everybody. I'm Kendall Raisler, and today we are thrilled to have a remarkable guest joining us on our podcast. He brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise as a CEO of Weimar Federal Credit Union. And we can't wait to delve into insightful conversations and get ready for an engaging and informative episode as we welcome Ronnie Stevens to the show. Ronnie, thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So before we dive into the conversation, we'd like to give our listeners a bit of more insight into your background. Could you please share a brief bio or some key highlights of your professional journey? Anything you can think that audience would find interesting or relevant would be fantastic. Take your time and feel free to include any personal or professional details you'd like to highlight. We're excited to learn more about you, Ronnie. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I, I kind of stumbled into the financial industry. I really didn't go to school necessarily to be in banking. Uh, kind of stumbled into it by accident. Actually, I grew up the son of a general director and actually thought that was going to be my career. But after after a while, just realized that I wanted to go out and make it on my own rather than take over the business. And so, uh, like I said, just kind of fell into banking by accident. And, and once I got into it, just saw that I really liked it. Uh, spent about 18 years in banking and, and uh, now in credit union land, we call that coming from the dark side of <laughs> banking, you know. So I Again, I just I had the opportunity. Uh, I was working at a bank and, and at the time just wasn't really seeing eye to eye with the CEO. And, and, and he was gracious enough, though, to give me an opportunity to go look for something else. And at the time, there just happened to be an opening at a, at a smaller credit union called Breco Federal Credit Union in Baton Rouge. And I was lucky enough to get that job. You know, they gave me the opportunity, my first opportunity to be a CEO. Um, so I stayed there for about seven or eight years, um, then had the opportunity to go work with a friend of mine at a much larger credit union called Pelican State Credit Union, also in Baton Rouge. Uh, and basically there I was one of two senior vice presidents. So basically we both had half the credit union pretty much. Uh, again, spent about seven or eight years there and uh, kind of realized at that point that I missed being a CEO a little bit, you know. Uh, I guess you always tend to think you can do it better. Uh, and so I wanted another opportunity to try. And, and again, this opportunity came up. A, a good friend of mine that I had known actually from my banking days had decided to retire from Weimar, and I just called him to congratulate him, and we got to talking, and he said, why don't you apply? And I did. And so the rest is history. I've been here uh, going on eight years in April. That's fantastic. So you've had a lot of experiences in your time running through. And I'm, I'm glad to see that, you're, you know, how life has taken you in the proper direction to give you uh, excitement in your life of what you're doing for work. So that's awesome. So, all right, let me let me dive in. Thank you very much for that information. Let me dive in a little bit deeper. And today I'd like to ask you, can you share your initial thoughts and emotions when you first took the role as CEO? <laughs> I, I remember my first day walking into Breco and thinking, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? You know, it's one of those be careful what you ask for sometimes when you realize that, you know, you've been saying all along, I think I can do it better and I would do it this way. And then all of a sudden now it's your turn. And so uh, I guess at first was a little bit of a moment of terror for a while, but. 
you know, then I really just started digging into uh, to learning about what was going on in the organization. And more than that, just getting to know the people, uh, you know, because to me, that's what it's all about is the staff. And so just spending time, uh, you know, just sitting down with each one of them individually for an hour or so and just talking about them and kind of like we're doing here, talking about their personal life, you know, what what's going on in their lives, what they, why they work, what they enjoy, what their career goals are and those kind of things. So, you know, once you kind of get into that flow and start developing those relationships, it, it just kind of everything happens after that. That makes a lot of sense. And it, and people are very, very important, whether it's your consumer or the people working for you. So that makes a lot of sense to me. So when you've been reflecting on your first few months, can you recall a defining moment or decision that shaped your leadership journey? Um, I think it was really just kind of what I was just talking about, realizing that, you know, okay, you know, these are my decisions, but but then I also realized that it, I needed to have a, a management team. And that's that's kind of what I've, my philosophy has always been wherever I've gone is, is to identify who your top two or three managers are and, and make sure build a cohesive team among that group so that, you know, we, we would sit down in meetings and, and the ground rule was always, you know, in this meeting, we're all the same. We're all equal. You, you can say whatever you want, you know, and I expect you to say whatever you want. And, but when we walk out of here and we've agreed on a decision that, that we'll all be on the same page, nobody walks out of here and says, well, that's not what I want to do or something like that. You know, you know, people want to feel like they've had the chance to speak their mind and, and voice their opinion that even if the decision goes a different way that they, they can support that. So I guess kind of learning that philosophy and, and, and implemented in that first CEO situation was, was kind of a defining moment for me because I've carried that through to the, you know, to the other two organizations I work for. So that really leads in well to, you know, being the best workplace year after year. That's an amazing recognition that you guys have got. So is that part of your strategy that allowed you to achieve this, this goals and to achieve this recognition constantly? Is that, is that part of it? And what else would there be that caused that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of it. And, and actually, yeah, something just to add a little to that, that I think makes it even more special is actually uh, there's, we're a small organization. We have 18 employees and it's me and 17 ladies. So uh, that that adds a little extra layer of challenge, but uh, it it's worked well. Uh, the biggest thing there, though, is just is practicing servant leadership, and that's what I do, and that's what my management team does. You know, I I feel like I work for them, and my job is to keep them happy, and and keep them productive, and and if I do a good job at that, then they're going to do a good job of taking care of the, the membership. And it just kind of all flows from there. Uh, so that's really, uh, to me, I think it's kind of been our, our secret sauce, if you will, that uh, has allowed our culture to thrive is because, you know, I think me and the management team do a really good job of taking care of the employees, letting them know they're appreciated uh, and, and that they're going to get what they need to do their jobs. So if I were to put it into a few words, an open door policy has been really important to your growth. Is that correct? Would you say that? I, I would, but you know, I, I think sometimes when people say open door policy, that that's can be a, a little misleading, you know, open door means, okay, well, you can come talk to me anytime you want to. And that's good, but it's more important to get out of that door and go talk to them and find out what's going on and, and, you know, what, 
what's happening in their lives and, and what they need and those kind of things. So, you know, that, that open door needs to swing both ways. Uh -huh. Excellent. Thank you very much. That's, that is fantastic. So how did you navigate and balance between maintaining the company's existing culture and introducing your new incentives or changes when you first started? Well, the, the one thing I've always believed too, and, and when you go into a new organization, uh, you know, I don't believe in just going in day one and start changing things, you know, and, and, you know, uprooting everything that, and you know, people can tend to be pretty resistant to change and change is a little scary sometimes. So I, and, and actually I was, I was blessed in this situation that they, the board brought me on board and my, my buddy, the old CEO actually stayed on for another eight months. So we kind of co-managed the, the credit union for eight months. So I got plenty of time to learn from him. So that was also another reason not to come in and make a bunch of changes. So I just really came in, learned the organization, learned the personalities and, and those kind of things, and, and really didn't really start implementing a lot of wholesale changes until once Reggie had actually retired and, and, and I took over. And then, then we started moving some personnel around and, and like I said, establishing that management team group and, and making sure we were cohesive and all on the same page. So that's, that's kind of how we did it. This episode is powered by Onist AI. Onist's optimized onboarding process and minimized documentation result in an expedited and seamless financing journey for clients, enhancing their contentment and commitment. Through identity verification, financial data validation, and creditworthiness assessment. Our software empowers companies to make well-informed financing choices. Bolster application speed and customer uptake by 30% and cut operational costs by a significant 70% with Onist AI. For more information, visit Onist.ai. So then, what were the key lessons or insights gained during the early days when you sat with your CEO that was co-managing with you? and then continue to influence your leadership philosophies today? Um, I, I kind of keep going back to the same thing. I, I guess another way I put it too is, is uh, I always look at it as, I call it golden rule leadership, where basically it just means you, you treat your staff the way you wanted to be treated when you were in their shoes, you know? So it's kind of following the old golden rule. Um, and, and so that's kind of what uh, has, has always been my driving philosophy, I guess. So thank you, Ronnie. Thank you very much for that. Now, I want to talk about scaling your business, Ronnie. Okay? Uh, I understand that the Federal Credit Union business is primarily focused on BASF uh, employees and right. their immediate family members. What strategies have you employed to scale your organization, whether it's expanding geographically or growing in terms of services and products? Yeah, so it, we are a little unique in, in terms of credit unions. You know, actually, I looked at not too long back, and there's only about 10 or 11% of credit unions left in the nation that still serve just one employer like we do. Uh, but we are blessed that BASF is a chemical plant here in Gonzales or Geismar, actually. Um, and we're actually on their plant ground. We occupy part of their admin building. Um, and so it's, it's not our, our marketing and our growth and scale is different than a lot of organizations because we, we don't uh, market to the masses. You know, our, our services and, and membership is limited just to the employees and their family members. So, you know, realizing that the first thing I did when I came in is made sure that we were ingrained 
as deep as we could be with BASF. And then what I mean by that is, you know, BSF is very philanthropic. They do all kind of uh, events for not only their employees, but also for the community. You know, United Way chili cook-offs and American, uh, uh, I think it's American Cancer Society golf tournament. So we made sure that we got involved in every one of those events. You know, if, if it meant us coming and supplying the drinks for the event, or if it meant, uh, you know, us coming and just helping them work the event or, or whatever we could do so that they saw our face at every BASF event. They saw Weimar and they saw Weimar employees. And so that's kind of been our strategy and, and, it, and it's worked well. And again, we've been able to develop those relationships with the, with the people and the leaders. And so, uh, you know, and one of the great things that's come out of that is now they let us, you know, whenever they have a new hire class, a new hire presentation, we get invited to that and we get about 30 minutes to talk to all their new hires about our products and services. And so, uh, and the ladies that do that do a great job. They probably convert, you know, 90% of those people into members. So it's worked well. That's fantastic. So when you're scaling, wanting to scale your organization, how do you identify a new opportunity or assets for the, for the potential growth? Well, uh, you know, we, we stay on top of what's going on in, in the, you know, in the financial industry space, uh, and there were a couple of things that we were able to do when, when after I came in on board, you know, there were a couple of products and services that we were still lacking. Uh, when I first got there, we weren't doing HELOC loans, the home equity lines of credit and, and some things like that. And so we're always looking for the new opportunities for uh, products and services. And, and, and we truly offer everything that you can get at pretty much any financial institution. I mean, we do mortgages, we do everything. And so we thought that was important. If we're going to be their primary financial institution, you know, we, we've got to be able to offer them everything that they can get somewhere else, but we just do it better. And so that's, that's kind of been our philosophy as far as continuing to grow. See that, that really leads me well into my next question is when you're, when it comes to expanding your services and products, like you did, uh, how did you ensure it was aligning the right offering and involve the needs for all of your customers? Like, how did you come to the decision that, of a certain line of credit or something like that for, for them? What was what was your process, Ron? Most most of the time, it's actually feedback from the membership themselves. You know, we and and so coming through the staff and through the managers and and continually asking the staff, you know, what are you hearing from the membership? What are they asking about? And so, and that was one the the home equity lines of credit. You know, we had gotten some feedback that there were several members that would inquire, hey, do you guys do this? You know, it's a very popular product in the industry. And so, uh, so just kind of, I guess it kind of sounds old school, but keeping your ear to the ground kind of thing. Uh, and, and that's where most of it has come from. So when you're getting that from your, from your customers telling you, you know, like getting the line of credit and, and, and the, the different wants for the products, were you doing that through technology or were you doing that on a manual basis when people come into this to, to your, to your place of business or how was that done? Yeah, it's, it's a little more old school. It's more of the word of mouth. You know, again, we're, we're a small organization, uh, mm -hmm. but we have really great relationships with the members. Uh, you know, some of them that come to the branch almost every day, you know, actually come. A lot of them come bring donuts to the staff and, and you know, food they grow have grown in their garden. And all. I mean, that's the kind of relationships we have with these members. So so that process of getting feedback or, or you know, knowing what they, they want and what their needs are, just kind of comes natural from those relationships. So, 
So it's really much more old school now. Of course, you know, once we we have looked into a product and and then we get a little more technical and you know running simulations of how it's going to affect our balance sheet and you know those kind of things. But but really the the impetus is more uh, just kind of the old you know just listening to you, to your customers. Fantastic. Did you feel that technology is is going to play a bigger process or bigger part? in your scaling process and the leverage enhancing efficiencies for your customers in the future. Do you feel that's coming more now so than it was before, Ronnie? Oh, absolutely. Especially on, on the marketing side, it, you know, again, even though we don't mass market, it's still, we get, we have so much data on our, our members. And, and so we're, we're really just beginning to get into more of the data analytics and, you know, life cycle type data about where they are in their life, knowing what products they probably need at that point in their life. So, uh, yeah, I said we. I, of course, that's happening industry wide. Uh, we're we're probably a little late to the game again because we're not a huge organization with a huge technology budget. But uh, but yeah, I do see that. And then of course you throw in AI, and and who knows what that's going to do to us. So you know, it's it's coming obviously. Yes, it is coming fast, approaching very quickly for everybody, and it's a bus that we all have to jump onto, in my opinion. So I'm very, I'm very excited to hear that with you. And have you, have you encountered any unexpected lessons or insights during your journey of scaling your business that you believe would be valuable to the other listeners? I mean, uh, unexpected from like, well, yeah, I, I guess, you know, there sometimes uh, things, I guess that I thought would work or we, we as a team thought would work just really didn't go over quite as well. Um, so I guess maybe the lesson there was, you know, you got to take off your glasses and put on your, your members glasses sometimes. And so I think, and this is just kind of a small example, but one that I, I thought was going to be really cool. And, and I, you've probably seen them where you, people can choose a photo or their dog or whatever, and put on their, on their debit card. And so we started offering that and I just thought that was going to be great. People would love that. And, and it's kind of almost became a joke when I would report to the board every month, you know, that, Oh, we had one this month. Thank goodness. Finally, you know, so uh, it just, it, it just didn't take off, but it was more, I guess, in hindsight, looking back that, that I thought it would be great. And, but, you know, I, I'm not the member. So making sure you're looking at it from their perspective and through their, their glasses. So that goes back to what you said earlier, keeping your ear to the ground, listening to them and, you know, test, uh, test, measure, test, measure, test, measure. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of CEOs are learning that and getting that challenge that, you know, as much as we think everything is right in our head, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to jump on board as good as it can be and should be, right? Right. Um, can you elaborate more specifically on any counters that you had during your scaling process and how you overcame them? Uh I don't know. I mean, we, again, we're, we're, we're really blessed in, in our membership. So, you know, our, our scaling is kind of dependent on, uh, on the company that we serve and how they grow, you know, so that's, you know, that's been a challenge of course, because they go through business cycles. And, and so in some points they're, they're doing really well and they're hiring a lot of new people. And so when they are, we're growing fast and then, uh, sometimes they're not and, and things slow down. And so I guess 
learning how to how to work through those cycles with them and and you know continue to to keep your steady growth going um you know we're we kind of know that we're we're not here to hit home runs you know we just want to keep hitting singles all the time and uh and keep that steady growth going so i guess to me that's that's probably our biggest challenge i guess fantastic is there anything anything else you'd like to add I'm trying to keep this to 30 minute podcast for everyone's listening ability. Is there anything else that you would like to add, Ronnie, that you think that you that could help other CEOs that I haven't asked? Um, I, I, I guess to me, the, the biggest thing, and, and I go back to what I said is, you know, you can read all the books and, and, and I do read a lot of management books and that's important and development. Uh, but, it all, it's not, in the end, it's not rocket science. It, it is all comes down to what I said, what we call the golden rule leadership. You know, remember when you were an employee and all the things, and I, I say this a lot of times, I probably learned more from bad bosses than I have good bosses. I, I learned a lot of things not to do. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think I try to always think back to how I wanted to be treated when I was an employee. Uh, and and make sure that's the way you treat your staff. So that's me. That's the key to it all. Ronnie, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Mind Matters and sharing your insights. Your collaboration has added tremendous value to our conversation, and we're truly grateful for your time and expertise. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next time on Mind Matters.